0: Welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nicoletti, and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. We are going to start kind of a mini-series, I guess. Indeed. Can we call it that? Yes, let's go with that. Good for (laughs) advertising. There's a four-part set of articles, a master title of Nephite's Commandments to His Three Sons by B.H. Roberts, and each one of the four articles will be their own episode, and they're going to be uh, discussed individually. And this one in particular we'll get into is on Helaman. But uh, let's talk generally first about where these articles were first found, when, and maybe a little bit of background
1: as to uh, the context historically for these. So where did these come from? These came from the Improvement Era, uh, 1900. So 118 years ago, which is wow, a little bit startling to think about. It's easy to remember though. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, – I picked these. I came across these in, I want to say, mid-2016. I was beginning a review of everything in the improvement era from 1897 um, and then just working forward. Um, this was before I realized there would already been a bibliography done. Uh, identifying all the Book of articles in the Improvement Era. But at this point, I was just reading through everything and finding stuff that I thought was useful. Uh, I came across this one. This is in Volume 3 of the Improvement Era. And the Improvement Era started off as the official organ of the Young Men's Mutual Improvement Association. So it was geared towards the youth. Uh, I did, uh, For years, I didn't put this together until like last year that we hear Maya made for Young Women. It was because Mutual Improvement Association yeah. made. I didn't realize that for <laughs> ages. I was this year's old before oh, I figured yeah, that right. out. So... Um, but I came across these articles, and I really enjoyed them. I love B.H. Roberts, and uh, I hope one day we'll be able to do a biographical episode of him on the podcast. He's just a fascinating man and still remembered uh, today, but yeah. not as well remembered as I think he could be. He he has a uh, a great legacy that led to a lot of great scholarship, um, and there's been a good biography put out on him, and I'm spacing on the title. It's by Truman Madsen. I want to say it's Defender of the Faith, but I'm not positive at all.
0: So as a
1: brief biographical
0: on B.H. Roberts, what... What was he in the church, and what was he probably
1: most known for? He's probably most known for his work on the Book of Mormon. He was the general authority of the church. He was a 70. He's known for writing the centennial history of the church. Right. Um, the last one before the saints. The last one before saints, yeah. he Roberts had an interesting life. I mean, he was uh, This will touch into this, this semi-biographical episode I want to do with him in the future. But <laughs> hugely involved in publications for the church. Very interesting figure. It was elected to Congress, but it was not uh, sat – because uh, of his practice of polygamy. Very interesting man. Uh, very well-opinionated man. He had some serious spats with Elder Joseph Fielding Smith. Um, they went toe-to-toe about evolution and a number of other t- subjects. And I believe at one point uh, the brethren actually told him he needed to apologize to Elder Smith. Uh, <laughs> Elder Smith had made some statements about a subject, and Elder Elder Roberts replied, I believe in print. Because Elder Smith did not make these co- subjects, these uh, comments in conference. He made them in a, in a private setting that were, they were later, later published. But he said, Elder Smith is unqualified to make these comments, both as a man and as an apostle. Ooh. Yeah, it was a a bad burn. It was towards the end of Elder Roberts' life that he said this too. And he said, yeah, you need to say sorry for that. Something to that effect. (laughs) Um, Very interesting guy. Did a lot of tremendous work on the Book of Mormon. I think setting the stage for later scholars such as uh, uh, Hugh Nibley. But in trying to keep the general members of the church interested. And I, I think that's why these articles are interesting. He was trying to keep the youth in this case, interested in a story in the scriptures, and the story of Alma speaking to his sons. And uh, despite one of the articles in which he extensively, almost entirely quotes it from scripture, Yes, I think he did a very – and I'm sorry for you for having to narrate that. Uh, <laughs> he, all right. I thought he did a really interesting job. I, I saw myself understanding some of these lessons uh, from Alma the Younger to his sons in better ways than I had before. Yeah. So I look forward to our conversation yeah. about these. Over the next few weeks.
0: So, part one, uh, this article one, I guess, is is kind of a dual article in that it starts off with a brief bio on Alma the Younger, kind of as the the giver of these blessings and counsel to his sons, and then it goes on to talking about the actual sections where he talks to Helaman. So, in the in the beginning, there's just a few quotes throughout that I just think are are really interesting because he describes a situation which I hadn't thought of before with Alma the Younger when he was in his rebellious phase that, uh, you know, I've always pictured, and maybe this is, I blame this on the cartoons, but I always picture someone that just went around and caused a lot of trouble. Ruckus, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of of getting under people's skin and whatnot. But in this particular case, he says, uh, I assume this indicates, based on one of the quotes that he was talking about, that Alma the Younger concocted a rival system of religion and worship of the Church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I just never thought that he was that, um, what would be the right word, uh, formal
1: about his opposition, but
0: he seemed to think that it implied that in the text.
1: I hadn't considered the potential political or religious, larger religious ramifications of Alma's rebellion uh, against his father before. Um, But he points out uh, a man of Alma the Younger's intelligence— and he believes that Alma Younger, and I think he's right, possessed a great deal of it, yeah. would not be simply content causing a little bit of a struggle here and there. He would want to organize something differently. And I think that the scope of Alma's repentance and that the anguish he felt in his vision um, indicates perhaps something greater. And I tend to agree with Otto Roberts on this, that Alma might have been trying to do something grander. Well, he, say. essentially that he wanted to start his own religion. Yeah. See, to me, I- He becomes I almost was, a cultic figure in that almost, sense. Almost, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, I was always kind of of the mindset that he was more the rebellious
1: atheist or, mm-hmm. you know, just the guy that was the contrarian. That smarmy, that smarmy priest in quorum that always makes the <laughs> comments from the back.
0: Well, then the guy that, that really didn't necessarily, he wasn't advocating a system or a belief, but just- Rebellion against theirs. the system. Yeah, yeah. He was a contrarian. But this seems to imply that maybe m- more was going on or that he mm-hmm. interprets. That more was going on, which I thought was also interesting, and then <laughs> there's so many ways in which B. H. Roberts has a way of being eloquent with his words, and in one particular case, there was he he described personal apostasy as "tis worse than sweet bells jingling out
1: of tune." Yeah, I saw that, <laughs> and I was reading. I was like, "I was like, this is a poem. This is for, this is formatted weird." <laughs> um, yeah, it threw me off, but yeah, it was. Yeah, he, a uh, turn of the poet.
0: <laughs> yeah, he kind of, well, and, and, and later in the Shiblon article, he turns to poetry again. But uh, in this particular case, I just thought that that was interesting because in tune is a phrase that we use perhaps a little differently in yeah. today's vernacular in the church, uh, being in tune with the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's using this in quite a musical sense that there was dissonance. And when I thought about the idea of apostasy actually, being dissonant with the the peace of the gospel. That was a nice actual image for me.
1: It's actually how Tolkien describes it in the Cimmerillion with the early rebellion of Melkor who became Morgath. So Morgoth. is, is –
0: are you saying that Tolkien ripped off B.H. Roberts?
1: You know, you, you, you never know. You never know. In the trenches <laughs> in World War One, when he was writing this. That is this, a hot take, everyone. That is a hot Jared take.
0: Jared is asserting yeah. plagiarism. <laughs> By J.R.R.
1: Tolkien. I'm going get, to get destroyed online now. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting that yeah the the instrument out of tune yeah such a small thing but that can cause it describes yeah. what was
0: going on very well yeah and uh, I guess that's part of B. H. Roberts' magic. He also has a, an interesting quote here. He says, "Inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land." This was something that a lot of people said, but it seemed in this particular article to be. It rang out to me as he was talking to his son Helaman, who he was then giving the records to, that this echoes back to Nephi, that this counsel
1: and Lehi,
0: to everybody that passed down these records, that was the great promise that was handed down as the introductory, almost like the the greeting, but it was, if you do this, you'll be great. If not, you'll have some problems. But
1: this was was counsel that he
0: gave to the next record keeper, Mm -hmm. was Helaman.
1: And I thought it was really interesting that he points out – he he extols Hillman's qualities, um, also pointing out potential flaws that those qualities could lead to. And it was very important for us being reminded that no one is too great to fall. And Alma was still very worried about Hillman potentially falling. And you see that with the Shiblon article as well, which we'll go into next time. But a good reminder. I mean we've seen in recent days that the very elect can be deceived. Yeah. And it's a sobering reminder that Elder Roberts wanted us to – To have that, even these great ones, Helaman, a hero in the Book of Mormon, the 2,000 stripling warriors, could still have fallen and his father was still worried about it.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, we will now switch to a reading of this article from the Improvement Era, A Nephite's Commandments to His Three Sons by B.H. Roberts. This one again is focusing on his counsel to his son Helaman. Next time, we will go into uh, Chiblon. See you then. A Nephite's Commandments to His Three Sons by B. H. Roberts It was a custom with the old patriarchs in Israel, near the close of their lives, to call their children about them, prophesy what should befall them, or give them such charges, warnings, and instructions as to them seemed necessary to their welfare. This Isaac did. Thus too did Jacob and Moses and doubtless many others of whom the scriptures do not speak. The practice also obtained among the Nephites. Being of Israelitish descent, they would naturally perpetuate in the land of promise to which they had been guided by the hand of the Lord, a custom at once so beautiful, striking. Hence Lehi, near life's close, and doubtless many others, called about them their sons and instructed and blessed them. It is with such a circumstance that we are to deal in this writing. As a great character among the Nephites stands the younger Alma, the son of Alma the Elder. It will perhaps be remembered that he was the first judge or president of the Nephite Republic and also the presiding high priest of the church. He lived in the century just preceding the birth of Christ, dying or at least disappearing from among the Nephites in the year 73 BC. In his youth and early manhood, he had been exceedingly wayward, His father's position as high priest of the church and confidential friend of the last Nephite kings, King Mosiah, of blessed memory, gave him social distinction among his people, and being a man of brilliant attainments with a turn for worldly pleasures, he became exceedingly wayward. Not satisfied with gratifying his own tastes for sensual pleasures, he joined with the younger sons of King Mosiah in an attack upon the church and the religion it taught. He was a man of pleasing address and great eloquence, and persuaded men to accept his sophistries in place of the religion of Jesus Christ taught by the church. We may only conjecture as to the details of his methods, but evidently he was not content with merely tearing down the church of Christ. The usual merely negative attitude of the unbeliever was not enough for him. Perhaps his mind from its very nature was constructive, and hence, He could not be content with mere negation, and therefore he introduced an idolatrous system of worship. At any rate, we are told by the Nephite historian that he became very wicked and an idolatrous man, and did speak much flattery to the people. Therefore, he led many of the people to do after the manner of his iniquities. I assume this indicates that he concocted a rival system of religion and worship of the Church of Christ. And that he was successful in his bad enterprise is emphasized by the Nephite historian in this language. He became a great hinderment to the prosperity of the church of God, stealing away the hearts of the people, causing much dissension among the people, giving a chance for the enemy of God to exercise his power over them. That all this was a cause of deep sorrow to his prophet father, the elder Alma, may go without saying. The soul of that righteous man was deeply grieved at the folly and wickedness of his gifted son. He saw great natural gifts of mind and graces of person perverted. He witnessed a splendid native eloquence supporting an idolatrous religion. He saw a naturally valiant spirit supporting the devil's cause. He saw an intellect by nature incisive and keenly logical devoted to making the worse appear the better cause. One can think of nothing more distressing than this. Tis worse than sweet bells jingling out of tune. Tis virtue stooping to folly. It is as if the order of nature were reversed. Tis the sunshine creating cold and blackness. Tis the gentle rain of heaven falling on fruitful soil, only to bring forth thistles, weeds, and briars. Tis the right hand of truth, intelligence, striking at the very face of truth, and not striking for truth, tis anything most pitiful and unnatural and deplorable. I say one can think of nothing more distressing than this. He cannot, unless it be the unseemly and unnatural conflict between father and son, the elder and the younger Alma. The reproach, howsoever unjust it may be, but nevertheless the reproach that comes from the inability of a servant of God at the head of the church, to convert and control in the way of righteousness his own son. This may be more pitiable than the perverted use of great natural endowments. But the time came when the elder Alma's faith and prayers prevailed with God in behalf of this sinful son. An angel of God in his glory appeared to Alma, the sinful, and to his companions, the king's sons. Scoffing, there was none then. In stern tones, the heavenly messenger represented deity offended. He testified to the truth of the authority of God, and the earth seemed to tremble at his word. It was no gentle word that was spoken to the royal sinners and the son of the highest priest. The angel had descended in a cloud. The power of his presence felled them to the earth. Alma, arise and stand forth. Why persecutest thou the church of God? The Lord hath said, This is my church, and I will establish it. The Lord hath heard the prayers of his people, and also the prayers of his servant Alma, who is thy father. For he has prayed with much faith concerning thee, that thou mightest be brought to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, for this purpose, have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God, that the prayers of his servants might be answered according to their faith. And now, behold, can ye dispute the power of God? For behold, doth not my voice shake the earth? And cannot ye also behold me before you? And I am sent of God. There was no disputing such testimony as this. The idolater's sophistry was powerless here. A flight of eloquence, however brilliant, could not turn aside the force of the palatable evidence. Nor was there any gentle pleading on the part of the heavenly messenger to bring to pass the repentance of these down-smitten sinners. They had rejected the tearful pleadings of God's servants, the high priest and the king, and for them there was not now but the stern voice of authoritative rebuke and reproof. The message of God to Alma ended with these words, If thou wilt of thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church of God. The effect of the message, so direct and powerful, was to bring Alma and his associates to a most humble repentance and final acceptance with God. As is often the case with strong characters gone astray, but by some means brought to repentance, these men became most ardent workers for God. The sons of Mosiah rejected a crown in order to give themselves to the ministry. And so devout and faithful did Alma become that he succeeded his father to the office of high priest of the church, and, as before remarked, he was chosen the first chief judge of the Nephite Republic, which came into existence at the death of King Mosiah. And now, after an eventful career in which there had been plentiful mingling of joy and sorrow, successes and reverses, the high priest of God, knowing that the time of his departure was nigh, takes his sons Helaman, Shiblon, and Corianton, and delivers them his commandments, that is, his counsels, a father's advice and admonitions. In each case, he is dealing with a character of somewhat different temperament, and each with a somewhat different life's work before him from that of the others. And what that father says to his sons will be counsel profitable to consider. And first, as to Helaman, in this young man we have a character sedate, modest, temperate, unambitious, but reliable, steady, patient, slow perhaps, but courageous and of sound judgment, remarkable for soundness rather than for brilliancy, for wisdom rather than for smartness, for intellect rather than for eloquence, a man who is not passion's slave, one who is not a pipe on which fortune may play, what stops she pleases, one who is apt to bear the buffets and rewards of fortune with equal patience, one who, through suffering all, would be as one who suffers nothing, a one might wear in his heart of hearts and never feel distrust nor suffer betrayal. Such characters make the world's reliable men. The world's wise counselors, humanity's true friends, the world's best workers, and God's best servants. And yet, it is possible for such character to possess defects. They may lack something of energy. Broad-minded in their ideas, they are liable to lack intensity, both of thought and action. that characterizes narrow minds. They are given to overlooking details, and many seemingly small matters, but which really may be, and often are, of great importance are overlooked by them. Restless activity and ceaseless energy are not liable to characterize their movements. They are in danger of slothfulness, and their very liberality of thought is liable to lead them into error of laxity, almost amounting to neglect in keeping the commandments of God. All this should be kept in mind in considering the counsel given by Alma to his son Helaman. It should be further remembered that Alma was aware of the defects, or rather of the qualities of temperament in his son that are liable to denigrate into defects of character, and hence, very naturally, did what he could to fortify him against them. It should be further remembered that he had determined upon Helaman as his successor in the presidency of the church, and the custodian of the sacred records, circumstances which also gave color to his commandments to Helaman, and now as to the commandments. My son, give ear to my words, for I swear unto you, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. I would that ye do as I have done in remembering the captivity of our fathers. For they were in bondage, and none could deliver them except it was the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he surely did deliver them in their afflictions. And now, O my son Helaman, behold, thou art in thy youth, and therefore I beseech of thee, that thou wilt hear my words, and learn of me. For I do know that whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials, and their troubles, and afflictions, and shall be lifted up at the last day. And I would not that ye think that I know of myself, not of the temporal, but of the spiritual, not of the carnal mind, but of God. Then follows the story of his own wickedness, and his conversion by the appearance of an angel. In support of the great truth, that those who keep the commandments shall prosper in the land and be delivered from their afflictions, and be lifted up at the last day, he appeals to his own experience, to the history of Israel in their deliverance from Egypt, to the deliverance of his fathers from Jerusalem, and appeals to the knowledge of Helaman himself in support of his homely yet important doctrine. Following is the passage. And I have been supported under trials and troubles of every kind, Yea, and in all manner of afflictions. Yea, God has delivered me from prison, and from bonds, and from death. Yea, and I do put my trust in him, and he will still deliver me. And I know that he will raise me up at the last day to dwell with him in glory. Yea, and I will praise him forever, for he has brought our fathers out of Egypt, and he has swallowed up the Egyptians in the Red Sea, and he led them by his power into the promised land. Yea, and he has delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time. Yea, and he has also brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem. And he has also, by his everlasting power, delivered them out of bondage and captivity from time to time, even down to the present day. And I have always retained in remembrance their captivity. Yea, and ye also ought to retain in remembrance as I have done their captivity. But behold, my son, this is not all. For ye ought to know, as I do know, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. And ye ought to know also, that inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments of God, ye shall be cut off from his presence. Now this is according to his word. This testimony is followed by a commandment to receive the sacred records. And now, my son Helaman, I command you that ye take the records which have been entrusted with me. And I also command you that ye keep a record of this people, according as I have done upon the plates of Nephi, and keep all these things sacred which I have kept, even as I have kept them, for it is for a wise purpose that they are kept. And these plates of brass which contain these engravings, which have the records of the holy scriptures upon them, which have the genealogy of our forefathers, even from the beginning. And behold, it has been prophesied by our fathers, that they should be kept and handed down from one generation to another, and be kept and preserved by the hand of the Lord, until they should go forth unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, that they shall know of the mysteries contained thereon. And now, behold, if they are kept, they must retain their brightness. Yea, and also shall all the plates which do contain that which is holy writ. At this point, Alma seems to fear that Helaman will regard his faith that scripture records, will retain their brightness as the whim or superstition of an old man, overmuch trustful in the power of God, and from such an imputation he thus defends himself. Now ye may suppose that this is foolishness in me. But behold, I say unto you, that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, and small things in many instances doth confound the wise." And the Lord God doth work by means to bring about his great and eternal purposes. And by very small means the Lord doth confound the wise, and bringeth about the salvation of many souls. And now it has hitherto been wisdom in God that these many things should be preserved. For behold, they have enlarged the memory of this people, yea, and convinced many of the error of their ways, and brought them to the knowledge of their God unto the salvation of their souls. Yea, I say unto you, were it not for these things that these records do contain, which are on these plates, Ammon and his brethren could have not convinced so many thousands of the Lamanites of the incorrect traditions of their fathers. Yea, these records and their words brought them unto repentance. That is, they brought them to the knowledge of the Lord their God, and to rejoice in Jesus Christ their Redeemer. This is surely a vindication of the employment of small and simple things for the accomplishment of great ones. And here, too, is an opportunity to call attention to the necessity for and the value of the written Word of God and its preservation from dimness or from any other cause of obliteration or destruction. Much stress is frequently laid upon the necessity and importance of the living Word of God upon the living oracles and deservedly so, for indeed such oracles are a necessity. But so too is the written word. It fixes permanently the general truths which God has revealed. It preserves for all time and for all generations of men the great framework of the plan of salvation, the gospel. There are certain truths that are not affected by ever-changing circumstances, truths which are always the same, no matter how often they may be revealed, truths which are elementary, permanent, fixed, from which there must not be and cannot be any departure without condemnation. The written word of God preserves the people of God from vain and foolish traditions, which, as they float down the stream of time, are subject to changes and distortion, by addition or subtraction, or by the fitful play of fancy and fantastic and unreliable minds. It forms a standard by which even the living oracles of God may instruct themselves, measure themselves, and correct themselves. It places within the reach of the people the power to confirm the oral words and the ministry of the living oracles, and thus to add faith to faith and knowledge to knowledge. It is eminently proper that Alma should close his instruction to Helaman on his head in this language. Therefore I command you, my son Helaman, that ye be diligent in fulfilling all my words, and that ye be diligent in keeping the commandments of God as they are written. The young future prophet of the Nephites is further assured that if diligent in keeping the commandments of God, the sacred records entrusted to his care will be preserved in his hands, and no power of earth or hell should be permitted to take them from him. Other instructions were given relative to the sacred records to be entrusted to his keeping at some future time. But of these, we have not space to speak here. The final words of the Father respecting the young man's ministry among the Nephites cannot fail to be of interest. Preach unto them repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach them to humble themselves and to be meek and lowly in heart. Teach them to withstand every temptation of the devil with their faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach them to never be weary of good works, but to be meek and lowly in heart, for such shall find rest to their souls. O remember, my son, and learn wisdom in thy youth. Yea, learn in thy youth to keep the commandments of God. Yea, and cry unto God for all thy support. Yea, let all thy doings be unto the Lord, and whithersoever thou goest, let it be in the Lord. Yea, let thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. Yea, let the afflictions of thy heart be placed upon the Lord forever. Counsel the Lord in all thy doings, and he will direct thee for good. Yea, when thou liest down at night, lie down unto the Lord, that he may watch over you in your sleep. And when thou risest in the morning, let thy heart be full of thanks unto God. And if ye do these things, ye shall be lifted up at the last day. O my son! Do not let us be slothful because of the easiness of the way, for so was it with our fathers, for so was it prepared for them, that if they would look, they might live. Even so it is with us. The way is prepared, and if we will look, we may live forever. And now, my son, see that ye take care of these sacred things. Yea, see that ye look to God and live. Go unto this people and declare the word, and be sober. My son, farewell. Such were the desires, the anxieties, the hopes, the testimonies, and warnings of a Nephite father when contemplating the character of his son and his future labors and responsibilities. In the course which Alma pursued, there is as much of instruction for fathers as there is for sons in what he says to Helaman. A grand race of men were these Nephite prophets and leaders, simple their lives and plain their speech. Rich was their experience, and lavish were they in giving their sons the benefit of it. Nor were they hypocrites in hiding that which might be considered unfavorable to themselves, but frankly owned their error and warned their youth against the pitfalls into which their pride, folly, or thoughtlessness had led them. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rare Possessions podcast by Book of Mormon Central. Tune in next week for the continuing story of a Nephite's commandments to his three sons. For more information on this item and other items in the Book of Mormon Central Archive, visit archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.